0: Welcome to worship at Salem Alliance Church. Let's join Steve Fowler, lead pastor, as he begins.
1: Hey, we're in the third week of our sermon series and our Bible study on Jesus, looking at uh, these pictures of, of Jesus. And uh, you know, it, it's it's interesting when you when you look at actual paintings or uh, artist renditions of who Jesus is, and they're done by people in uh, in North America. Uh, we sort of have this idea that Jesus is this Caucasian guy who, you, you know, you could say he's from uh, from Oregon or the Midwest or from the East. He just looks, sometimes looks American, but, uh, and, that, and that's pretty normal because that happens all around the world. People have their images, their own idea of who Jesus is, and they look through the lens of, of their own life. Uh, just through a couple pictures up here, here's a painting by a, a Native American uh, who has his own picture of of what Jesus would look like through his eyes. This next one is a, a painting done by an African of, of Jesus on the cross. Uh, and it, isn't it interesting that, uh, that, that as an African, that's how they would picture Christ? Or here's a picture painted by a Chinese artist of Jesus, uh, sort of from, from their eyes. And I, it's interesting, it doesn't matter where you live in the world, Jesus always has that look on his face, doesn't he? Kind of that, he's pondering, he's thinking, he's got a, that slight smile on his face. And it's just, it's just a great reminder that, uh, that no matter where you live in the world, you, you look at Jesus through your, your lens and through your way of thinking. And, and we're not in this study to try and picture what Jesus looked like physically. We're, we're looking at pictures of Jesus from his first followers, uh, from those original followers. And we're asking the question, if, if, if you could share with us one picture, what picture would that be? And as we're in these 24 weeks together in this series... It's like we're sort of building on the platform. If we had all the people up here in the platform and they could share one at a time their picture of Jesus, what would they say? And, and Barb started a couple weeks ago with John the Baptist and she uh, talked about the picture of Jesus being the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then last week we looked at Matthew the tax collector. And uh, we, we talked about that, that Matthew perhaps would say that he's the God, he's, he's the Jesus who chooses short people. Uh, to, to follow after him. And this week we're looking at the story of Nicodemus. Nicodemus uh, from John chapter 3 and looking at the picture that from that encounter with, with, with Nicodemus, what picture would, would Nicodemus paint for us? If he had a blank canvas and he was going to throw colors up there on the canvas, what sort of picture would materialize if Nicodemus could paint a picture for us? We're going to try and answer that question today. So grab your Bibles, turn to John chapter 3, and uh, if, if you didn't bring a Bible, there's one, looks like this, it's in the pew rack in front of you, page 1051, you'll find John chapter 3. As we look at the first 15 verses of this chapter, would you stand as I read, and I'll read these verses. You can follow along, or just listen, as we read of this encounter of one of the first followers of Jesus, a guy named Nicodemus. John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher and who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one, who, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in Him may have eternal life. This is God's holy word. You may be seated. So here's the question I want to lead with today. Where do babies come from? Making you a little nervous, aren't you? Where do babies come from? You know, if you're a parent and maybe your kids a little bit older, you remember the moment your kid asked you the question and a little panic got in your heart and you sort of rock back on your heels a little bit like, "Oh boy, how am I going to answer this one?" It's an important question to answer and it's important because kids have their pretty complex idea of where babies come from. They manufacture in their mind some, some pretty strange ideas of how a baby enters the world. I, I've just collected a sample, sampling of a few of those ideas. Listen to them. Here's little Sally, age five. Here's the, she's asked the question, where do babies come from? She responds by saying, A husband and wife hold hands and make a wish. Nine months later, God gives a stork a baby to deliver to mommy and daddy. Ah, the stork story. Mom and dad have told you about the stork. (laughs) Well, there's Amy, age six. She's got some pretty complex ideas of where babies come from. I think God makes babies using a very special magic. They grow in mom's tummy. I think God rolls a dice. Maybe... (laughs) That's got hundreds of numbers on it. Each lady has a number. And if that number matches the number that's on the dice that God throws, the lady gets a baby growing in her tummy. Some of you ladies are going, I hope my number does not come up. (laughs) Uh, I I think ladies are pregnant for about a month, and then the baby comes out of the tummy. I remember being in my mom's tummy. It was lovely and warm inside. <laughs> uh, some of you are saying, some of the ladies are thinking, oh, yeah, one month would have been nice. <laughs> Frederica, age six, she says, well, babies come from mom's tummy. They, they start like an egg. I'm not sure how the egg gets there to begin with. I think it comes from food. You eat lots of food, very healthy food. And, and make, that makes the egg. But you do have to eat very healthy food, even like 18 broccolis a week. The egg in the tummy grows bigger and bigger. Then the, goes, the mom goes to the hospital and the doctor cuts open her tummy and she can see the little baby peeping out. There is a tube between mommy and baby that feeds the baby before it is born and then that turns into your tummy button. That's where babies come from. Babies don't grow in the ground and they don't, they don't come from the sea or anything. <laughs> Broccoli. Wow. <laughs> Here's George, age seven. The first boy asked this question. Where do babies come from? Our mom gets pregnant from drinking from a man's cup.
0: <laughs>
1: Everyone knows that. <laughs> don't you love the complexity got dice and broccoli oh, I drink from a man's cup that's it you're pregnant Scott he's, this is the parent he's age 37 he tells a story we made the mistake of telling our son that babies grow in bellies he seemed fine with that but then he approached a rather heavy man at McDonald's <laughs> and asked him when's your baby going to be born He said they were dying of embarrassment, left a few facts out. <laughs> where do babies come from? I mean, kids have some pretty complex ideas, don't they? I mean, it's, it's the stork. It's, uh, it's rolling the dice. And if your number comes up, you're pregnant. You eat very healthy. I mean, you eat 18 broccolis a day. You drink from a man's cup and you might get pregnant. Kids have all these ideas of how and where babies come from. And yes, someday you need to have the conversation with them, but that's not today. Uh, You you need to have the conversation with them. And I think, I think in John chapter 3, what's happening here is that Jesus is having a conversation with a man who has his own idea of, of how you're born into the kingdom. Of how you're accepted by God. Or how you can be approved by God. He's got his own complex system. The stork, roll the dice, eat healthy, eat 18 broccoli, drink from a man's cup. It's a system that by, if you do these things, then you can sort of climb your way, you can work your way into the kingdom of God. And what Jesus is going to do in John chapter 3 is have the talk with Nicodemus the Pharisee. He's going to have a conversation with Nicodemus and tell him about the spiritual birds. And the bees. He's going to tell them where spiritual babies come from. Nicodemus has created this system. He's part of a religious establishment that's set up all these ways of behaving your way into the kingdom. Working your way, earning your way into the kingdom. And Jesus is going to tell them, no, 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 no. That's not how you enter the kingdom of God. So Jesus has the talk with a man named Nicodemus. Now, like we did last week, and we, we, we kind of set the, the historical setting uh, socially for who Matthew is, I think it's important that we understand who Nicodemus is. We, we know that, that Matthew was socially unacceptable. He was religiously unacceptable. I mean, he, he, was, he was seen as short by the religious establishment of the day. Nicodemus, however, is a Pharisee. And we need to understand who he is. He's a Pharisee, and the word itself, sometimes in our own understanding, if you've read the Gospels, if you've studied the Scriptures, a Pharisee, sometimes we make synonymous with hypocrite. And certainly, these were words that Jesus spoke to the Pharisees. But they were religious, pious people. The name Pharisee literally means, it means separated ones. They, these were people who, these were men who separated themselves from all that was evil, all that was wrong, and they wanted to live holy and righteous lives. There were about six thousand of these guys in Jesus' time. They were religious. They were pious. They would have prayed three times a day. Nicodemus would have set times of prayer every day. He'd give alms to the poor. He'd go to the temple and give his tithe and his offering. He was a very religious man. He uh, he would have memorized much of Scripture. Um, he, he would have, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, he would have put to memory. And the Pharisees believed that those first five books were sort of an ethical standard for moral conduct. So you needed to obey all these rules. And if you did, then you'd be approved by God. You'd be accepted by God. you embrace the Mosaic Law. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was also a scholar. The name Nicodemus is a Greek name which is a little bit unusual because uh, most of the Pharisees would have had a Hebrew name or a Jewish name. Uh, Having a Greek name gives us a little bit of a hint that he likely had a Greek education, which means he studied uh, Greek philosophy, had that Greek education, had a Jewish education as well, would have gone through the normal Jewish culture training. But he, he was likely a scholar, pretty bright guy, educated. And Not only is he a Pharisee, he's a scholar, but he is a politician. You've got all those religious rulers of the day. And John 3 verse 1 tells us that he's part of the Jewish ruling council. This is the Sanhedrin. These are your top 70 leaders over the nation. This is sort of the the supreme court of the day. Okay? Get your chief justices here. Nicodemus is part of this elite group. These were the law enforcers. So if you were out in Israel and you were teaching something that was false, or you were teaching a heresy, you'd be brought before these guys, and they would test you, and they'd make sure that you stopped teaching heresy. And they would write new laws, new interpretations. These guys were the law enforcers of the day. And and this story is sort of like, if if you take the Supreme Court sort of metaphor, this is like Justice Scalia or Justice Sotomayor from our Supreme Court, at night going and having a conversation with Jesus. Going to have a conversation with Jesus. Now, remember this. Matthew, last week we said, he, he probably would have said that he's the God, he's the Jesus who chooses short people. And on the other end of the spectrum, here we have Nicodemus, who you might say was too tall. Matthew, too short. Nicodemus, this guy... He, every Jewish mom wanted their son to grow up to be like Nicodemus. He cleared every societal standard there was. He cleared every bar. Educated, influential, pious, religious. Everyone wanted their kid to grow up to be like Nicodemus because he was successful. He was a picture of who you wanted to be. He was a good man. No, in fact, the people in his day would have said, He's a great man. He's a great man, and he's come to have a conversation with Jesus. And Jesus is going to tell him some things that are going to just make him scratch his head. I don't get this. Jesus is going to have the talk and tell him about the spiritual birds and beasts. Now, when our kids were a lot younger, Trina and I would, uh, we had the talk with our kids in fact, we strategically planned it at a certain age and it just wasn't that talk. It was a lot of talks. And it was with me. I would take them away for a week somewhere, somewhere fun, and, and they get some time with just me, with them and, and, and Dad. And, um, and each night, you know, we'd do stuff fun during the day and each night we'd sit down and have dinner and we'd have a conversation. Um, one of those conversations was about finances, about how to handle money, and about the dangers of debt, and how to budget. But giving and generosity, and another conversation we had another night was about character and integrity, guarding your heart. Another time we talked about faith, about how mom and dad are following after Jesus and we believe, believe in, in Christ, in Christ alone. But there's gonna come a time you've been living in our house, you've been hearing about Jesus, but where where do you land on this? Had that conversation with them. Talked about a strong work ethic. About how in fact it, it, it's important that, that you that you work hard. And then we had the talk with them. Now, every conversation with my kids about the talk led to a different kind of response. One of my kids, as we're talking, just says, puts up their hand and says, Just stop! Just stop! Stop! I don't want to hear anymore! Just stop talking! Another one of my children looked at me with a look and said, Dad, is there any... Other way. <laughs> I think when Jesus has his conversation, when he has the talk about the spiritual birds and bees with Nicodemus, that's exactly what Nicodemus is doing. He's like, Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. What are you talking about? Why is he doing that? Because he's developed this complex system of where babies come from. Eat some broccoli, drink from a man's cup, the stork appears, roll the dice, obey the law, do this, pray, give to the poor, separate yourself. You do all this stuff, you can earn your way, you can behave your way, you can buy your way into the kingdom of God. And Jesus is going to tell him about the spiritual birds and beasts, and it's going to shatter his worldview. So Nicodemus is having this conversation, and he's sort of developed a prologue. you ever notice that when someone comes to Jesus, they've got their prepared question? Rabbi, I've got a question for you. And Jesus ends up responding by asking a question, really cutting to the core of why they're asking the question. Or if they prepare a, a prologue like Nicodemus has, Jesus, we know that you are a teacher sent from God because nobody can do the things that you're doing and not be sent from God And he prepares this prologue, and Jesus sort of like just shifts gears, puts his foot on the gas pedal, and says this in verse 3, No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Okay, here we go. Nicodemus has come, and Jesus is going to speak to the core of what he knows Nicodemus needs to hear. And and here's what, as Jesus begins the talk with Nicodemus, here's what he tells him. Verse 3, he says, No one can see the kingdom of God. You can't see it, Nicodemus, until you're born into it. Point one of the talk. You cannot see the kingdom of God until you are born into it. Think about it for a moment. When was the first time you saw a mountain, a river, a river, The Empire State Building, a tree, grass. Did you see that before you were born? No. You saw those things after you were born, right? You didn't see these things before you took your first breath on planet Earth. You were born on this planet. You had nothing to do with that. And then you saw. And what Jesus is telling this Pharisee named Nicodemus is that you cannot see the kingdom of God. You can't see it, Nicodemus. You think you can see it. You develop this complex system that you think will help you to see it, but really, you're blind. In fact, he would tell his disciples that the Pharisees were blind. Matthew chapter 15, he's talking to his disciples about the Pharisees and says, Leave them, they are blind guides. If a blind man leads a blind man, both will fall into a pit. In our day and age, we have, if, if someone is blind or they can't see very well, they'll have a dog that will guide them, have a guide dog that will, that will lead them through. Would you choose, a, if you're blind, would you choose a guide dog that was blind? Absolutely not. That's ridiculous. You want someone to guide you who knows the way, who can see their way. If you're blind and you have a family member who's blind, another one who can see, do you choose the blind person to lead you? That's absurd. Of course not. You're going to choose someone who can guide you because you don't want that to happen. You don't don't want to fall into a pit. You don't want a blind person leading a blind person. And that's what Jesus is telling Nicodemus. Nicodemus, you're Pharisees. This group, you're blind guides. And you can't even see the kingdom of God unless you're born into it. Some of you have heard me tell the stories when I was growing up in Hong Kong in a second, third grade, lived in this apartment building, and uh, my mom still cringes when I tell these stories um, because she was a good mom. She is a good mom. Uh, Comes to the five o'clock service and just cringes when I tell these stories because when we were living in, in Hong Kong in this apartment building, down below the apartment building was a convent for blind nuns. And so mom would tuck my brother and I in for a nap in the afternoon, and she would go lay down and rest. And my brother and I would sneak out of our beds, go down the elevator, cross the street, and go play in the convent for blind nuts. This is great fun for an eight-year-old. And we'd go there and we'd play Marco Polo. We would... See, this is why I love the fact that God chooses short people. I can relate to Matthew. We 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 would go and and we'd 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 stand against the wall and then we'd we'd see a blind nun coming with her cane making her way innocent as she is coming to serve God in this convent and when they got close we go boo and and they would they knew we were coming because we went often and they bring they had this cane they'd swing their canes at us you know. If I were to take one of those very powerful spotlights and stand in front of one of those blind nuns and just shine it in their face, they'd never see it. It didn't matter how close you got to the light. It didn't matter how hard you tried to be enlightened. If you're blind, you'll never see the light. And that's what Jesus is telling Nicodemus. You cannot see the kingdom of God until you're born into it. You can't you on this physical world world you couldn't muster up, you couldn't work, you couldn't try hard to see on a see a planet you were not born on. And Jesus is telling Nicodemus, you can't even see the kingdom of God until you're born in it. In verse 5 he says, you can't enter the kingdom of God unless you're born again. Not only can you not see it, you can't enter the kingdom of God unless you're born into that kingdom. Now, Nicodemus is asking all kinds of questions here. I, I don't get it, Jesus. I, I'm old. Am I supposed to get young? Am I supposed to crawl back in my mother's womb? What are you talking about? And, and, and he's not getting it. And, and Jesus, you know, it's like you can't enter. I mean, try, try to go to Portland Airport and board a plane bound for New York. Try and go through security without a boarding pass. How's that going to work for you? They're going to say, no, you, you, you need a ticket, right? You need a ticket. And if you try and push the issue, you're going to make some nice friends and they're going to take you to a side room, right? You cannot enter. These ideas are foreign to us, but there's only one way to be born on planet Earth. And what Jesus is telling Nicodemus is that there's only one way to see the kingdom of God, to enter the kingdom of God, and that is to be born again. Nicodemus is not getting it. And this is where I imagine in my mind's eye that Jesus is sort of rubbing his forehead and saying, you are Israel's teacher. And you don't understand this? If I speak of earthly things you don't understand, how are you going to understand when I speak of heavenly things? He's trying to have the talk with him and Nicodemus is saying, what are you talking, I don't get it. I I thought it was roll the dice, eat the broccoli, drink from a man's cup, wait for the stork. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. No. You can't see it, you can't enter it unless you're born into it. And perhaps Jesus takes a deep breath and tells a story that he knows Nicodemus would have memorized from Numbers chapter 21. It's the story of the people of Israel who've been brought out of Egypt. They're making their way to the promised land. And on that journey, it's been a long one. Been some setbacks. They've made some mistakes. And they're outside of Edom, which is like modern-day Jordan, just outside of Petra. And, And now they're complaining against God, and they're complaining against Moses, and they're saying things against God, and saying things against Moses, and God hears, and so he is going to discipline his people. And Numbers 21 tells this really fascinating story of God who who basically releases these snakes. They're referred to as fiery serpents. And as the people are walking their way around Edom, these snakes are biting them and people are dying from the snake bite. And, And there's a lot of them that are dying. And people are putting two and two together. We sinned against God. We sinned against Moses. We need to go back and confess this, they go to Moses, they go and ask him to pray because they know they've sinned, and Moses prays, and this is what God tells Moses. Moses, I want you to take some bronze, and I want you to fashion a serpent out of that bronze. And I want you to take that bronze serpent, and I want you to put it on a pole and stand it up in the camp. And I want you to go, and I want you to tell the people that when you are bitten by one of those fiery serpents and you want to be healed, then you go and you look at that serpent on the pole. And can I say, just in all reverence, is that not not the most ridiculous thing you've ever heard? You're telling me that when a rattlesnake sticks its fangs into my calf, and the poison is coursing through my veins, and it's going to kill me, that I'm supposed to go and look at a snake on a stick, And believe that I'm going to be healed. I mean, think about it. In our day of medicine and technology and what we understand today, a snake on a stick? Donald Barnhouse, biblical scholar, says it's interesting to note what what God doesn't say to Moses. He doesn't say to Moses, Moses, here's the recipe for the cure. Take a pinch of that, take an ounce of that, add some water, stir it, boil it over water, I mean, boil over fire for a while. And then you'll have the cure, have everyone drink it, and you'll be be immune to these snake bites. No, that's not what he says. He doesn't say, Moses, here's what I want you to do. I I want you to start a society for the extermination of fiery serpents. And I want you to print t-shirts, and I want you to go around and form committees, and you're going to go block by block, and you're going to eradicate the camp of all these fiery serpents. No, no society for the extermination of fiery serpents. No t-shirts sold. He, he doesn't even say, go to the serpent on the pole and pray, and then I'll heal you. No. You go look at it. Literally in the Hebrew, it means to, to go and gaze, to investigate, and then to put your trust in. You go and gaze, and you investigate, you look and put your trust in this fact that this serpent can heal you, and then you'll be healed. Think about it for a moment. Put it in our own context, because this is not just a small camp, not a room this big. We're talking million, over a million people. Imagine the size of Salem and Kaiser. And you're, you're out there running at Minto Brown. You're walking on one of the paths and a snake comes out from the bushes and it sinks its fangs into your calf and you can feel that fiery venom entering your flesh. And you know that if you don't do something, you're going to die. Now, you can try and cut the wound and suck the poison out. You can try and get help from a friend, but you've heard all those, all those attempts have failed. But you've heard the story of the snake on a stick that's in Kaiser. And you have a choice, don't you? Do I stay at Minto Brown or do I take myself, drag myself over to the snake on a stick in Kaiser and gaze and look and investigate and believe and put my trust in? That is the decision every one of those people who were bitten by those snakes had to make. Do I believe that that snake on a stick can really heal me? Jesus is having the talk. He's trying, to, he's trying to explain to Nicodemus how to be born again, what it means to see the kingdom and what it means to enter the kingdom. And what he's telling him is this story that Nicodemus would know. And he just reminds him, verse 14, chapter 3, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in Him may have eternal life. Nicodemus, you're not going to understand this right now, but there's going to come a day that you will understand this. There's going to come a day when the Son of Man will be lifted up and everyone who looks to Him and believes, gazes, investigates, trusts. Everyone who believes will have eternal life. I don't think... Nicodemus leaves that conversation in John 3, a follower of Jesus. We, we don't know. I, I don't think he leaves that, I think he leaves that conversation going, that, that one made my head spin. I, I thought it was a stork. I thought it was the broccoli. I thought it was the dice. The man's cup. I thought I could behave my way. I could work. I could climb my way. I could buy my way. I could be good enough. John 19, verse 38. I find it is a very intriguing passage in the story of Nicodemus. His name comes up three times in the book of John. This is the last. John 19, verse 38. Jesus has been crucified. He's breathed his last breath on the cross and died. John 19, verse 38. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with the Jewish burial customs. Could it be? Could it be? We don't know for sure, but could it be that Nicodemus, when Jesus breathed his last, was one of the ones who took Jesus off the cross? And could it be that when he was taking Jesus off the cross, or could it be that when he was laying Jesus in the tomb after wrapping his body with strips of linen, packing it with spices and ointment, the light comes on. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the desert, so the Son of Man will be lifted up that all who believe in him may have eternal life. And could it be it was at that moment could it be that Nicodemus becomes a Christ follower at a funeral? Jesus is having the talk with Nicodemus. Nicodemus has got all his complex systems in place of how you're approved and accepted by God. Behave myself. Follow the rules. Give Do good works, do all this, do it all, and then maybe I'll be accepted by God. But when do you know that you've been good enough? How do I know how good is enough? And Jesus has told him, it's not the broccoli, it's not the dice, it's not the religious system, it's not the rules. No one can see, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born again. So let me ask you. Have you had your personal encounter with Jesus? Have you looked, investigated, and trusted Jesus Christ for your healing? Because let's face it, we've all been bitten, right? We've all fallen short. Not a person in this room who's perfect. Jesus, the perfect one, who should not suffer the consequences of death, because that's the result of sin, goes to the cross and dies as your and my substitute, so that every one of us who has been bitten can look to him, believe, and be healed. And the moment you do, you see. You enter. Have you had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ? If you have... The joy should flood your soul because you do see and you and you do enter. The kingdom of God is yours. And you take your first breath as a baby. But if you haven't, are you gonna are you gonna roll the dice, eat the broccoli, drink from a man's cup, thinking that's how you make a spiritual baby? Or are you gonna trust the one who's been there already who's come to tell us about it? Have you had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ if Nicodemus were up here on the platform today and we were to ask him Nicodemus what's your picture of Jesus that we need to see paint it for us I think Nicodemus would just clearly say this he would say he's the Jesus who told me I can't climb my way into the kingdom he's the Jesus who told me I can't earn my way I can't behave my way I can't climb my way into the kingdom I had to be born again That's the picture. I believe Nicodemus would paint for us.
0: You've been listening to Steve Fowler, lead pastor at Salem Alliance Church. If you've enjoyed this message, we'd love for you to be our guest at our worship service on our main campus at Fifth and Market Streets in Northeast Salem. Worship services are Saturday at 5 and 6.30 p.m., and again on Sunday at 8, 9.30 at 11 a.m. If you'd like to receive a free Bible and more information on how to become a Christ follower, feel free to call our office at 503-581-2129. We'd love to know how we can serve you. And once again, that's Salem Alliance Church at Fifth and Market Streets in Northeast Salem.